Good afternoon. What a beautiful Sabbath day we've had. Hasn't it been a lovely day? Uh, we might be able to get along without the overhead, but you know, a picture is worth a thousand words, and sometimes it will put into your memory a little better uh, what I'm talking about. But while they're figuring that out, because I haven't the slightest clue how they're going to work it, <laughs> uh, I would like to talk to you about something else. Um, it's been brought to my attention by two or three different people that I didn't quite make it clear of when I was talking about soybeans and just what did I mean. All right. Uh, when I went to the symposium on soybeans, they showed that they are already using soybeans in treating cancer. Uh, there's one scientist, one doctor there, uh, who has uh, chronically ill children. He's working with chronically ill children. Some of them, they believe, would have lost their life if they had not used this substance that they have extracted from soybeans called uh, genistein. And um, while I was there, I found that they're using soybeans for the treatment of lowering the cholesterol for uh, those who have atherosclerosis. Um, they're using it for um, prevention and treatment of cancer. Uh, they're using it for thyroid problems. And uh, believe me, there's a big sweep all over the world right now of people having problems with their thyroid. And um, one of the connections they've made, brothers and sisters, is with the microwave. And uh, Maybe some of you didn't know that, but hopefully we'll be able to touch on uh, some of this information. The problem is we're here such a short time that we're trying to pack so much in that we barely touch on them, and it's very hard for you to understand what we're saying. And uh, uh, I'd just like to share with you that Dr. Crane said one time in working with uh, uh, patients in a group of them, some, for some reason, we do better in groups than we do one-on-one um, -on -one as far as making lifestyle changes. And he tells the story about, you know, um, he was told the folks, uh, you know, for good health and this one thing, if you apply it in your life, you're going to have more energy. And it's drinking six to eight glasses of water a day. And the following week when he met with them, one lady raised her hand and she said, Doctor, the most I could get down was 32 glasses. She thought he said 68. <laughs> so you see what's happening when you're up here, we, you know, to communicate with people. There's what I said, and then there's what I meant to say, and there's what you heard, and did you hear what I meant to say? <laughs> And so it's very difficult sometimes to communicate with a large number of people, and especially if I know something and I'm assuming that you know it and you don't know it. And this happens to me lots of times because I wasn't raised a Seventh-day Adventist, and often you hear people make the statement, and you already know, and they make reference to something, and I don't know. <laughs> And you hear it over and over, and as you already know, and I'm going, no, I don't know, tell me. And so we do that sometimes, and we have to remember. And so if we go too 
uh, quickly and you didn't get it, please raise your hand and let's just go over it again. I like to correct it right then because, see brothers and sisters, it's on tape. And if you didn't understand it, it's going to go out on the tape and they're not going to understand it either. And I'm not going to be around for them to ask me a question. So please ask uh, questions if you have them as we go. Now one other thing I'd like to touch on uh, that we went over this morning, it's on the immune system and allergies. Now, Dr. Lee, um, if you know, how many of you know about Dr. Lee here? Not very many people. Dr. Lee is from um, Korea, and uh, he came to this country, or, or came to America to be a doctor, and uh, he was looking forward to being a rich doctor and to be able to eat whatever he wanted and plenty of milk and that sort of thing. But what happened is his family lost their health. They begin to have allergies and uh, asthma and all of these different kinds of things that go with uh, dairy products. And then he also uh, had all of these allergies. And he had a hard time ex understanding it. And so as a doctor, he went back to school and then studied to become uh, a doctor of the immune. And, um, then he found out all of these different things that cause allergies. And so many times people say, well, soybeans are supposed to be so good, how come I'm allergic to soy products? Well, see, whenever you're allergic to something good that God has given you, it's usually because of something else you're doing in your lifestyle. And it's showing up in uh, soy, or it's showing up in olives, or it's showing up in God's beautiful flowers, or the trees, or something. And Dr. Lee said, you would be better off if you didn't know what you were allergic to, because, you know, we're told that the mind and the body are very closely connected. And that if you go and you have all these patch tests, which, you know, I worked in an office with um, a doctor, an allergy specialist, and they put the shots, some of them, I would think that we should be allergic to, like a, a mold and, you know, dust. And, you know, if you put that in your arm, don't you think you should have some kind of a reaction? Because I don't think that'd be a normal thing to put in your arm. And um, anyway, he said, what happens if he says you're allergic to grass, every time you walk across the grass, especially if it's freshly mowed, now you got the head going and you you know, you're telling yourself, I'm allergic to it, and you already uh, begin to have the um, symptoms. And if you didn't know that, many times you might walk over the lawn and have no symptoms at all. But the truth of the matter is, allergies are coming from other things that we're putting in. See, what we're doing today is we are so highly refining our foods, then we're putting substance in there to uh, preserve it, and that was never meant to be. And we are taking all these things in our body and we're losing uh, a lot of the nutrients. And so it's showing up in certain ways. And the devil wants you to believe that you are allergic to God's beautiful, wonderful things that he has for you, when indeed it might be something else. So I would say that if you're allergic to soy products, that probably what is happening is that you're using refined soy products. You see, there's a difference between what they showed at the symposium. It is the soybean, the whole soybean, tofu, and soy milk. 
Now, many of them have been processed to a point to where they're so refined, they have altered the cells and the molecules of that food and maybe the fat and the protein in it. And then it's, it becomes a, a harmful product for us. And so when I made reference to soybeans this morning, or last night, or whenever I did, it was what I was talking about is the whole soybean, tofu, and um, soy milk. And the best soy milk is if you make your own. And there is one in the manual on soybeans that will eliminate the beanie flavor. And so you want to try that. It's soy isolate that is in the soybean. It's a part of the soybean that has been refined and changed that is in all of these different products. It's in the powdered, especially in the powdered soy. It's also in uh, the meat analogs. Most of those are made from soy. And the meat analogs, believe it or not, folks, were meant for a bridge. God never intended for us to stay on those. They were a bridge to get off of animal products. And so we must learn how to cook without them because many people have come that far in their diet and stopped there. And God wants you to come further. He wants you to come back to the Garden of Eden diet that he gave in the Garden of Eden. And listen, we have beautiful recipes, wonderful, tasty food. You don't feel deprived. And when you begin to uh, learn these things, my husband and I, we look at one another every once in a while and say, how could anyone feel deprived having this wonderful food? But there is a little bit in, you have to retrain yourself on how to cook it, how to make it. And you know, we should, God is asking each one of us to be trained to make this food tasty. And when we go to fellowship dinners and potlucks and where other people and they come to our home, we must fix them our best. We must make them see that we do have tasty food. Now, I have children who are junk food junkies, and it, I don't believe it's their fault as much as it is mine. They were raised that way, as well as I was. And um, when they come to my home, now my cheese, my children say, I didn't know that that was fake cheese. Well, I say to them, well, it's not. What you're eating is fake. This is the real stuff. <laughs> and, um, and I fix them things to where they hardly know that they are eating a healthy uh, diet. And that's what we must do because we are working with perverted appetite. So if you think some of my, rich, my recipes are too rich, please keep that in mind. I'm trying to convince, I'm out there trying to convince people into vegetarianism. Um, it's different than if they come to you for a healing in their health and come like to a wellness center. That's a little different. And even then, Mrs. White gives counsel that it should be richer than we're using in our own home. But brothers and sisters, you know that's not true, is it? It's more rich in our homes that we're using. And so we need to take a look at these things. All right, now I want to go uh, into what we've already talked about. Um, I want to begin right away, uh, first of all, Let's turn to Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Malachi 4, 5, and 6. And uh, these are favorite texts of mine because uh, of my family being out of the ark of safety 
says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now I just want to start right out by saying, making my first comment that we know the family is going to be restored. God said so, and everything he says is true. And we know that, and yet we're not seeing families restored. And you know how they're going to be restored is everyone is going to get in their right role. And brothers and sisters all over the world, the same question is said or the same statement is made to me. I wish my husband was more spiritual. I wish my husband would be the priest of the household. Brothers and sisters, God has given a man a work to do that the woman cannot do for him. And he has given a woman a work to do. They cannot trade roles. There's just no way they can trade roles. Now, I was in a city in America, and after I gave this uh, lecture, I had a young man come up to me and said, look, uh, my wife, she's much better at giving worship in the morning. She's much better at giving worship to the children. I said, oh, I'm sorry. The Lord said, that's your job. And she cannot do what you can do. Yes, she can do it. You know, if there is no father, the Lord will bless, and he will be the father and priest of that family. But the thing is, when the father is there, he must take his role. And he said, but look, he said, now, I can't read. And he said, now, he said, I do go around all the churches, and I preach in the churches. And he said, I don't know. They love to hear me preach. And he said, I can hold the Bible up, and I can read one text right after another. But, you know, at home, I can't read. I said, I'm sorry. The Lord says, you're doing no work at all unless you do your first work first. And your first work is your family. And the family is going to be restored before the Lord comes. And those families that are going to be restored are going to, uh, the man and wife and the children are all going to take the role that God has for us. And the man is supposed to be the priest of the household. He is supposed to lead out in worship morning and evening. And the wife cannot do that. There's one other thing that he needs to do, and I don't mean to be picking on men because I know that a lot of us women, I, I'm one, I will admit right up front, is because I am sort of a take-charge person. And the Lord is working with me on this. I'm not nearly like I used to be, but um, too bad I didn't get this all said before my husband walked in. <laughs> but... Um, you know, the Lord gave some things to the man, and we women sometimes run ahead and do it because we like the way we do it better, you know? But we forget that God is working with them, and he is in control and in charge of everything. And if you will let the man do it, even if you don't believe that he's doing it just the way you want it or as well as you could do it, let him do it. However, is he going to get trained if he doesn't do it? And believe me, it's so easy. If somebody's willing to do your work for you, isn't it easy to just let them do it? Yes, it is. And that's the way we humans are. And so um, we should let the man be the uh, priest of the household and leading out in family worship. But the other thing is the men should not bring their troubles home to their wife. The wife 
especially when she has children, she has a job that no one else can perform. She has enough troubles and problems all day long and interruptions. And he is supposed to bring large measures of compassion and love home to her. And you know that if you do that, men, she is going to work so much harder and do such a better job if you do that. And, um, and we all need this love, don't we? And we're all lacking in love. Are you aware of that? As Seventh-day Adventist people, we are lacking in love. Each one of us, almost all of our problems come because we are lacking in love and we want to be loved. Well, now someone said, yeah, but you just don't know this person. They're unlovable. <laughs> well, if they are unlovable, go to your heavenly Father and say, Lord, would you place love in my heart for the unlovely? And God will do it. But take your problems to him rather than dumping them on your spouse. And you will see that the family will begin to be restored. Now, um, that Bible verse that we read in Malachi 4, 5, and 6, I don't know if you realize it, but it's the last book of the Old Testament, the last chapter, and the last two verses of that chapter, just before what? Yes, but just before John the Baptist preparing the way of the Lord. And are we told that we have a message to give like John the Baptist? Only our message is to be a tiny bit different in that. What is our message? The three angels' message, that's right. The first angel's message. And um, we must help uh, do this work. We have a work to do, and uh, our children have a work to do. And brothers and sisters, it's the young people that are going to finish this work. Have you ever heard that statement before? Yeah. And in order for them to do it, you must make them believe it from the time they're born. They must hear you say, John the Baptist heard while he was still in the womb that you have a special work for the Lord. And he knew that he was different and special. And he knew he had special instructions as you have in special instructions and your children have special instructions. God wants to restore the family in all its phases. And as the day is approaching, he says to us, press together, press together. How can we press together if we don't love one another? We barely love our spouse. We barely love our children. How are we going to love one another? You know, we, it, must begin in, it must begin with me. It must begin with you individually. Then it begins with you and your husband, and then your children, and then the people that you come in contact with. We must be the most generous, the most loving, kind people on the face of this earth. And brothers and sisters, we need to stop looking at our brother's fault. We need to stop it when we're reading and saying, yep, that's right, John needs to hear this, or Mary needs to hear this for sure, when let God speak to you individually. And when you begin to change, everyone around you will also begin to change. 
And I've seen this personally, and I believe it with all my heart. You see, we would have to be deaf, dumb, and blind if we didn't know that Jesus was coming soon, wouldn't we? The signs are all around us. Our food is polluted. Our air that we breathe is polluted. The water we drink is polluted. Our world is waxing old. We are losing the ozone layer. And our soil is losing its nutrients. This world is waxing old. The economists are predicting a crash. The environmentalists are saying our world can't go on much longer. And the whole world is groaning under the curse of sin. And human beings have never been in such a state of affairs as they are today. We are under stress that we have never before had, and plus the added stress that we are putting on ourselves. We have many diseases that we've never even heard of before, and there seems to be no answer. We have pain from head to toe, autoimmune disease. We have chronic fatigue and allergies of every kind against everything. And um, that's just a name of few. And last year when we had Dr. Thrash come to Heartland and give a seminar, someone asked her, well, why, during the question and answer time, why is all this happening? You know, I mean, God, he, he knew, you know, that we, she said, we were never meant to be here this long. This is why we are running into these things with, you know, the nutrients being leached out of the soil and because we are here, Jesus is ready to come. He would have come. He was willing to come. But in his mercy, he was waiting for you and I to get ready. And brothers and sisters, we're not ready yet. He still doesn't have a people that will go forth and reflect his image perfectly. He's ready. He is waiting for his people to get ready. So we each have work to do. It's an individual work. I cannot do it for you, and you cannot do it for me. And God will not do it for either one of us. We have to do it for ourselves. And uh, we must be willing to be made willing. So I'd like to put this on. Uh, oh, maybe I could have help. Uh, my husband, could you? Thank you. Okay, let's just take a look at this. It says, the human existence consists essentially of the exercise of three sets of powers, the physical, the mental, the spiritual. The first, the physical body and life provide the habitation for the mental powers, give life to them, and so make their function possible. Likewise, the physical life and the mental powers combined make it possible for men to meditate upon and conceive spiritual things, accept spiritual ideals and truths, and render a spiritual service, and so have a spiritual experience. Without the physical life, there can be neither mental powers nor spiritual experience. Everything depends then upon the physical life, which is the foundation of the entire structure including the spiritual life, which is the highest object of man's existence. So, um, so if taking a look at this, you can, you can almost see it without me even talking to you, is that uh, Satan wants to get up here and destroy this. Isn't that correct? But first he has to destroy this. He has to destroy your mind. 
And the best way that he can do it is by going through here to destroy your mind. And so we have been told to guard the avenues of our soul, haven't we? These are the avenues to our soul, the five senses. So if the foundation is destroyed, the entire structure is beginning, is, is ruined. In the beginning, the enemy of the race began his efforts to, bar the, to mar the spiritual experience by attacking the foundation and especially by appealing to the sense of taste. So let's take a uh, look at the temptation and fall of uh, Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve had been guard, uh, had been warned about the Garden of Eden and the tree of good and knowledge, right? And I don't know if you're aware of this, but they could only be tempted at the tree. In other words, Satan couldn't follow them around like he does us and tempt us at every hand. He could only tempt them if they were there at that tree. And the angels had con uh, cautioned Eve to be mindful of uh, separating herself from her husband and she was so absorbed in a, a, a pleasing task, she unconsciously wa un wandered away from his side. Now, are we unmindful of cautions and warnings today? Yes, you bet we are. We have it all in the word. We're told not to do some things, and we do it. We're told to do some things, and we don't do it. And so we're just like Adam and Eve. And brothers and sisters, if we would have been there in that garden, we would have done the same thing Eve did. So we have to stop blaming Eve, and we have to stop blaming Adam. Now, I've heard husbands and wives get in this conversation, and the husband will say, it's because of Eve, all of this trouble. And then she'll say, yes, but look, Eve was deceived. But you see, Adam did it, and he knew, you know. The truth of the matter is they're both blaming God, right? It comes down to the fact they're blaming God. You see... They were happy, and uh, they were in the Garden of Eden before they sinned, and Adam loved Eve so much that when she sinned, he knew that what God said was going to happen. She was going to die. So he loved her so much that he didn't want to die. He wanted to die with her. But the moment he sinned, then they found out that they were naked. Isn't that correct? They were naked. And they went to sow some fig leaves together and to hide themselves. And when the Lord came, he said, you know, Adam, where are you? And he said, I'm hiding. And he said, well, why are you hiding? He said, because I'm naked. He said, what have you done? And he said, well, see, Eve, it was Eve. You see, he's going to blame Eve that you created. And Eve did the same thing. She said, well, see, it was a serpent that you created. See, in other words, if you hadn't created this, then I wouldn't have sinned. We all want to blame someone. We go through life, and that's what we want to do. And a little later on, I'm going to show you how we, as humans, do it. And uh, so I'm going to skip over some of this, of uh, how Eve, because I know that you're all aware of how Eve was tempted. And by the, she was tempted, first of all, with the sight. She saw it, and she wondered, well, why did God withhold this tree from us? The fruit looks like it's good for food, 
So you see how the, the site was involved in her downfall. And then she heard Satan say, yeah, if God said you can't eat of the, uh, every tree of the garden, see now her ear lended to this downfall. And then the next thing is she touched it. She said, God said, yeah, we're not even supposed to touch it. So quickly the serpent picked it and put it in her hands. Now she touched it. Now she's much more uh, likely to fall because she has touched it. And uh, it doesn't say that she smelled it, but if you've been in a uh, room full of apples, have you ever been in a room full of apples? Well, imagine those first apples. I mean, I bet they really had an aroma. And I bet if she had it here, she really smelt that. And I think all five senses were involved in her downfall. And so now she's tempted so great that she takes a bite of it and she eats it. And um, I think that we do the same thing today that in our temptations, I think the senses are involved in one way or another, whether we want to admit it or not. Now, do you know that your conscience is right here in the frontal lobes and that Satan is after your frontal lobes? He wants to destroy them, you know, alcohol, smoking, all of those things, um, caffeine, anything with caffeine in it, you're destroying brain cells in the frontal lobes. He always attacks the frontal lobes because he doesn't want you to have a conscience. Because if you don't have a conscience, you see, then you can't be very spiritual, can you? And because God can speak to you through your mind in that way, and when you're under conviction about something is when you really, if you're put under uh, conviction, you know, you really want to listen to the Lord's voice, don't you? So Satan wants to destroy that, and there's many ways. He is paralyzing the frontal lobes, and how does he paralyze the frontal lobe? How about Christians who don't drink and smoke? How are they doing it? Anyone know? Loud music, television, all of those things are paralyzing your frontal lobes. They are making the voice of God weaker and weaker. And this is why Christians should not be doing these kind of things. We must guard the senses, and, um, and we can have victory over them. Now, one other thing. Appetite is the strongest urge in the body. And Satan knew that if he could put sin in the strongest urge of the body, something man must do every day to live, then he would have him in his pocket every time, wouldn't he? And so that is why he has attacked appetite. And that is why we are told Adam and Eve fell in appetite, and we're just where they fell, you and I must overcome on appetite. And so... You see, brothers and sisters, it's such a loving message from a loving Heavenly Father. And when you begin to realize that, it doesn't become a, a do's and don'ts and drudgery. Then you want, in your heart, you're saying, Lord, what can I do? How can I help? And how can I stop paralyzing my frontal lobes? Now, I just want to give you a, an example of how what's happening in America today. There was a woman, and they know this now because through an accident, and there was a man who had an accident. You've probably heard about it. He was using some steel, and somehow he used a sledgehammer, and the steel slipped, and 
uh, went into his brain and severed the frontal lobes from the rest of his brain. Now before this accident, this man was a Christian. He was a family man. He loved his family, had worship with him. He was conscientious, the first one to work, the last one to leave, always brought his paycheck home and took care of his family. After the accident, he didn't uh, care whether he went to work or not. He didn't care whether his children went to church or not. He didn't care if they had worship or not. He was seen about town in a red convertible with another lady. He just, and that was the first time that they began to realize about the frontal lobes. And so they began to do experiments. And there was a lady uh, that they told the story about how <clears throat> she had terrible guilt and she couldn't handle the guilt and she was going to psychiatrist. You see, what she needed was Jesus because our guilt is so heavy without Jesus. It could kill us. It could crush us. And this lady was experienced terrible, experiencing terrible guilt. And so she kept going to the doctor, the psychiatrist, and finally he suggested that she have her frontal lobe severed, have a surgery and have them disconnected. And this is happening now. And this lady, before she went into surgery, they asked her this question. They said, if you borrowed someone's watch and you broke it, uh, what would you do? She said, oh, well, I'd just have to buy them another one. I'd, I'd buy them another one. I'd replace it. After the surgery, when she came out, they asked her, if you borrowed someone's watch and you broke it, what would you do? She said, guess I'd just have to borrow another one. You see? No more conscience. And that's why Satan is after your frontal lobes, and he will destroy them in any way that you allow him to. And that is why we need to guard <coughs> all the avenues of the mind, because they are what lead us into sin. Let's go back to about Adam and Eve being naked. Now, they were in the Garden of Eden. They're now naked. They're afraid. For the first time in their life, they're experiencing fear. And they're sewing fig leaves together to cover themselves. And brothers and sisters, I'm finding that that's what people are doing today. The people in the world, they're all afraid. Everybody's afraid. They're afraid the world's going to end. They're afraid of their food. They're afraid of being shot. They're afraid of leaving their windows open. They're afraid of not locking the doors. They're afraid of this. And, every, and the list goes on. And I know because I used to be a very fearful person. And I could give you a lot longer list than that that I used to be fearful of until I became a Christian. And it's sin that causes fear. And when you have no relief, no way, no way to get rid of this guilt that's on you. And um, that is why it's so precious when you learn the truth that you can take your sins to your Heavenly Father and He will throw them in the deepest ocean. And why do we go deep sea diving is beyond me. Why do we want to keep bringing them up? You see, many places that I go, I hear things that are repeated back and forth. I actually know a lovely Seventh-day Adventist lady that I met years ago that has lost her mind by recounting her problems about what her husband did, how he did this, what he left her for another woman, and what he did to the children over and over, and what her psychiatrist said. But the thing I want to say, 
Because when I met her, she could quote Spirit of Prophecy. She could tell you exactly word for word what it said and what page it was on. And to destroy her mind by recounting problems over and over. We don't need counselors. We don't need counselors to go to our problems with. And how many people do you know, Christian people, who think they need to go to a counselor to get rid of guilt? when all they have to do is to go to the Lord and give them to him, and he will throw them in the deepest ocean. And so people today, they are in the world, and they are naked, and they're trying to sew fig leaves together. Now, do you know what they're doing for sewing fig leaves together? That's what New Age is all about. That's what New Theology is all about any way around it other than admitting, yes, Lord, I have sinned. Will you forgive me? And giving it to him. Everybody's looking for a better way or a way with, that they can hold on to the sin, you see, and uh, not have the guilt. That's what they're looking for, and they don't even know that. So... Um, Right now, I'd like for you to go to Psalms 27 with me. Psalms 27. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 and then verse 5. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Who shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Through a host, though a host should encamp against me, my heart <coughs> shall not fear. Through war, though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set, up, set me up upon a rock. And that rock is Jesus. And the reason I love this, um, my husband and I, we always sing that song, In the Secret of His Presence. Have you heard that song, In the Secret of His Presence? Brothers and sisters, there's a time coming upon this earth we need to be hid in the secret of his presence and we don't have to be fearful of everything when we learn to trust the Lord. Now being fearful, I talked to you this morning about being fearful depresses the immune system. And um, there are many people today who are depressing their immune system by being fearful and by being um, naked, but there are other people who are naked. And let's go to Revelation 3 and see who they are. Revelation 3, 14 through 17. Huh. 
Revelation 3, 14 through 17 says, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block. I'm sorry, I had the wrong page. <laughs> I thought, boy, that was getting a little off. Okay, um, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, and faithful and true witness, and the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wast cold or hot, so that because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. <coughs> Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Now here's a whole group of people that don't even know they're naked. Don't you think that would be terrible, to be running around naked and not even know that you're naked? What I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, if I'm naked, I just pray that you would help cover me up. And if you're naked, I want to help cover you up, too. And this is our work today, not exposing our nakedness to the whole world. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eyesalve, that thou mayest see. And so <clears throat> I want to be clothed, and um, I want to be clothed in Christ's righteousness. And if we're not clothed in Christ's righteousness, we're going to be in trouble, aren't we? Now, let's go to uh, Isaiah 58. And I like to spend a lot of time in Isaiah 58 because Isaiah 58 is our work for this time. And this is what we are supposed to be doing. Isaiah 58, verse 6. <clears throat> is not this the fast that I have chosen? My husband talked to you this morning about what kind of fast we are to be on. But he's talking about to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Now, you know, I shared with you that the Lord asked me, told me, and shared with me about how the fields are white for harvest, and that the workers are few. And would I go work in his vineyard? And after I'd been working in his vineyard one day, um, and this is the greatest sin that we have, is murmuring. I was murmuring. I have since repented of that. And I was murmuring, and I said, Where, Lord, where are these fields that are white? Where are they? And he said, Lee, have you forgotten so soon where you came from? Do you remember when you were in bondage to all that sin? Do you remember how many times you tried to stop smoking? And it wasn't until someone introduced you to me that you were able to be set free. And then I want you to take a deeper 
and better look at this field that is white, ready for harvest. Lee, there is your mother, still in bondage. The fields are white for harvest, and the workers are few. Then he asked me to look even further and see my children, each one of them, all bound up, no way out but Jesus, not willing to hear from me. My greatest prayer is that someone would go and witness to my children, someone maybe their age that would have some credibility that they would listen to. And he asked me to look even further. And he said, look, your brothers and sisters right there in the church in bondage to these things, waiting for someone to come and release them from the bondage that they're in. And then I would like you to even look a little closer and look at your neighbors and your friends. There they are in these fields that are white for harvest, waiting for someone to come and release them. He said, is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house when thou seest the naked that thou cover him and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? Then shall thy light break forth as the morning. And I looked that word of light, it said on fire lightning, happiness. Wouldn't you like to have happiness that comes like lightning and be on fire for the Lord? He says, then shall thy light break forth as the morning and thy health shall spring forth speedily. And I looked that word up, health, in the uh, Hebrew and it said health, soundness, perfected. Look at that again. It says, and then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thy health shall spring forth speedily. Then we'll be able to overcome when we begin to do Isaiah 58. And our health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee, and the glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. You know, that, isn't that what we're told in Revelation about this glory that the Lord is waiting to bestow upon each one of us? And then thou shalt, then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer, and thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am, if thou wilt take away from thee the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity. Brothers and sisters, when I point my finger at you, I got three pointing back at me. We must stop pointing our finger at one another. We must stop finding fault with our brothers and sisters. You know, we must help them. I'd like to just take a, a, another minute and tell a story that I've never shared with anyone, but I think it's so valuable. You see, we don't seem to have a problem loving the world, do we? I mean, we go out there and we minister to them, and we'll put up with a lot to be able to minister to them. But our own brothers and sisters, boy, watch out. If they're not doing just exactly the way we think they should, we don't have that same kind of love and affection for them. Did you notice that? Listen, I'm going to admit to you that I have a hard time, not so much now, but I did 
in the beginning have a hard time with Seventh-day Adventists that were raised Seventh-day Adventists and they wouldn't live the message and I was reading it in the book. To me it was the most precious and lovely thing. I didn't have much patience for my brothers and sisters. Why are they not doing this? Why don't they love this message? You see, I had a wrong idea about someone's nakedness. And one time at Heartland, a student came there and I never said anything, but I thought it. I wondered what was that student doing there because that student didn't look like they belonged there at all. They didn't act like the people there. They didn't dress like the people there. Um, all kinds of things. I thought it, but I didn't say it. And this student uh, came to help me and uh, was going, and I kept wondering, where am I going to put this uh, person? I mean, I can't put her, she wanted to give talks. She'd already been a nurse. She knew a great deal about health. And uh, where am I going to put this student? You know, I mean, if she's going to lead out, I mean, people are going to look and think, you know, I, I mean, all these kind of things going through my mind. But brothers and sisters, do you know that when we see, if we are looking at our brothers and sisters' nakedness, we draw away from them. Are you aware of that? Rather than going and covering them, we draw away from them. And um, I think possibly that I might have been drawing away from her. I'm not sure whether I was or not because of what followed. I never said anything to the student. But I heard others say it, and I, in my mind, I would think that's, I heard someone say, I wonder what this displaced student is doing here. And I thought, yes, this, play, this student is displaced. Yeah. But anyway, as time went on, um, some things happened, and this student, um, actually, I, I, I think the student was asked to leave Heartland, and uh, because of uh, some things that happened and what have you. But what we didn't know is the student's heart. See, this student come from a different country. This student didn't understand the message. She had not been taught the message in the way. She thought she was a conservative Adventist. But when we looked at her, we didn't think she looked like a conservative Adventist. You know what I'm saying? And um, she could feel the pulling away. And it's the same way in our families. When we do this with our children, if they feel like they're not accepted, if they feel like you love them unconditionally, they will, they will perform different than if you treat them like, you know, you have to behave yourself before I love you. We must love people right where they're at. See, and we have a hard time separating this. We seem to, see, the Lord said, hate the sin and love the sinner. And if we would pull to them. Now, for some reason, this student, I didn't speak what was in me, what I thought, and I'm so thankful I didn't. I ran into this student later on in her country, and this student, when she saw me, she ran over, threw her arms around me. She wept. She was so happy to see me. She loved me. And you know what? This lady was completely transformed. She didn't even look like the same person because she was able to get a picture of, you know, she was able to understand now the things she was reading. And she said to me, Mrs. Heathman, I need to speak to you before you leave. And um, so at the time came, we said a little time and we spoke and she said, you know, I need to apologize to you. I thought, oh, brother, I need to apologize to you. <laughs> she said, you know, I didn't understand about dress code and I didn't think it was important. 
and um, and uh, the way we ate, and she named different things, but she said, I can see it is so important. And um, she had no bitter feelings towards Heartland. She, she loved Heartland. She believed they were doing exactly right and that they handled her case right. But I'm here to share with you that we didn't think right. You know, we should have been drawing to her and loving her. And people make changes quicker by loving them than and living our message than they ever do by being censored. And so we must stop looking at our brothers and sisters and what they're doing and pointing our finger at them. Because when we're pointing our finger at them, uh, I believe that we are naked. Now I want to share something else. Uh, these students that come to Heartland, I mean, they are spiritual. I really believe these students are much more spiritual than the staff most of the time. And uh, this one student, he came back from Belize, and he did his practicum there. And he shared a story that I'm going to share with you just now. And he said, it was so hot. And he was walking along, and he was sort of murmuring about, Lord, this is, it's so hot here. And um, he said, I wish, you'd, I wish you'd provide a cloud cover for me like you did the Israelites. And he said, boom, there was a cloud cover. And it sort of startled him. Have you ever prayed and then been surprised when the Lord answered your prayers? That's almost next to unbelief. I do it a lot, pray and then surprise. The Lord answered my prayer. And he said it was surprised him. So he looked up. And when he looked up, his eyes caught an eagle. And the eagle was soaring higher and higher. And he kept watching. And the eagle kept going up higher and higher and higher. And then in his mind, he heard the Lord say, this is what I wish for my people, that they would come up higher and higher and higher ground. And they can. And then he said he looked down, and his eye caught some chickens pecking over here on the earth. And he said, but my people are happy to cling to the earth and peck at the earth. And when I desire for them to come up higher like the eagles, God is calling us, each one of us, up to higher ground. He desires that we live the message that he has given. He desires us to be a people who are living what he has asked. Um, if we put this one on just briefly, and I want to uh, say that in the beginning, Eve, you can see on here, Eve fell through the, uh, appetite. And um, the king of her senses, I mean, the key was the appetite. Appetite is the king of the senses. And you can understand why. And panel two shows that the fall is repeated for 6,000 years. Men, are still, men and women are still falling. And can God bring us up when we continue to fall down? And Christians today are still falling. In panel three, you can see that they are still um, overeating and eating between meals and too much sugar, too much starch, too much protein. And they're having a deficiency. They're eating these refined foods. And um, all of these things that God's people are doing. And how can he bring us up to higher ground when we continue to fall down? Now... Some people say, well, how are we going to do this? How is the family going to be restored? 
And um, if you would put this one on for me. One of the things is by the husband um, taking the position, and that doesn't mean that he's going to lord it over and rule everyone in the house. It means he's going to be a merciful, loving uh, priest, bringing home large measures of affection for his wife, especially, and his children. And there's things in this circle here uh, with a husband and wife that should never go out of that circle. And uh, I thought it was interesting. I heard a pastor in Australia. He said, when you're dating, keep your eyes wide open. And after you're married, keep them half shut. You know, because your spouse may have some faults. You are never to take it out of that circle. The only place that you can take it and the only help you're going to get is by taking it to Jesus. And so there's many things that should never come out of that circle that husbands and wives freely talk about. And I tell you that it can make you very uncomfortable and when you are doing this kind of restoring work when husbands and wives come to you with things that were never supposed to come out of that circle. And then the next circle comes with the parents and the children and Jesus. And the parent, I mean the children should be taught from an early age that there's many things that should never go out of the household. That they are not at liberty to share every single thing that happens in the household. And the same way with the church family, brothers and sisters, there's many things in the church, happening in the church, that we are not at liberty to go to the whole world with. And yet we do it. And we must protect one another. We must love one another. We must go to Jesus. We must not take it to the whole world. And then uh, the world. Now, we just, my husband drew this for me. I mean, you know, there's different ways, different schools of thought on that. It's nothing uh, in concrete. It's not inspired. Other than the fact, the middle part is, and the, this, we have this instruction but I mean, you could put it in a different diagram if you wanted to. But it's just a way to help you to um, understand what the Lord was talking about, about not sharing your spouse's problems. Well, now let's put this one on here and let's just go over it of how we can have steps to uh, forgiveness and uh, restoration in the family. First of all, if you have a problem, you have to recognize the problem. Do you know that in Philippians 4, it talks about God's people are silent, you know? And we're supposed to, it's like we don't have any problems. We're supposed to go to the Lord with our problems. We have to recognize we have to problem. And then we have to accept personal responsibility. You see, just right from the very beginning, Eve didn't want to accept responsibility for what she did. She wanted to blame the serpent. And Adam didn't want to, ex uh, to accept personal re responsibility. He wanted to blame Eve. And that's the way we are doing today. We need to expect, accept personal responsibility for our own problems. We have and having a repenting and forgiving attitude towards our spouse. And then we need to be ready for a working toward reconciliation and forgetting. Brothers and sisters, I've heard so many people say, oh yes, I forgive him or I forgive her, 
or I forget, but I can't forget. I'll never forget what you did. Well, listen, if you never forgot, you didn't forgive. That's all there is to it, plain and simple. Now the next one that you put on here, I'd like you to hold it like this so they can't see the bottom part. How are we going to do all of this? Willpower, isn't that how we're going to do it? No, it's not willpower. See, some people would like you to believe if you had strong enough willpower, you could go ahead and help your appetite, and you could, uh, you know, overcome every besetting sin if you just had willpower. I mean, yes, you can, you, you know, maybe still love the, some things that are sinful, and, and you could think about them and uh, everything, but then when you go to do them, just put on some big brakes, and, he, and like they say, everybody can smell rubber burning all around, you know. <laughs> and uh, is that the way we're going to do it? No. What we're going to do, and you can take the bottom part off, is if we give, take our will and give it to God, ask Him to cleanse it and to give it back to us, His perfect will. You see, He has the power. God has the power. We have the will. And if we will give Him our will, He will cleanse it from all defilement. Yes, thank you. Yes, that's correct. All right, I, I had some other things to go over, but it's just not time enough to fit these things in. And so I would just like to ask you before I leave today um, if there was any questions, because I don't want to do what I did in another one where I went off and you did have some questions. Does anyone have any questions on what we've gone over? Yes. Nice and loud so I can hear. Can you just elaborate in reference to the problems with microwaves? Microwaves. Oh, yes, I could. Uh, well, the new information that's out on microwaves is um, that it does cause uh, thyroid cancer and uh, it alters the food, the molecules of the food. And um, we just, uh, for some reason it's slipping my mind, maybe my husband can come up here and help me remember uh, some of the information that we have had on microwaves. Could you just stand up and give that to him? Um, for some reason it's just slipping my mind. And, but we do have documentation with us on the new information that's out on thyroid. I mean on microwave. Well, uh, the, uh, one of the latest reports that we received was that it destroys 97% of the uh, uh, nutrients in the food. Can you hear me now? Yeah, come over here, buddy. Uh, one of the reports that we have, uh, I brought one with me. I don't have a lot of them, just the one. But um, it has, uh, they have found that it has destroyed 97% of the nutrients in the food. In fact, many of the universities uh, where they had a, um, oh, uh, baby's formula. Uh, for baby's formula, they used to heat it up with uh, the microwave, and they found that the babies were getting desperately sick. And so they stopped using it in the universities. They found that uh, it alters the blood and puts it into a state of leukemia. And that. Uh, Wait a minute, uh, let me just clarify that a little bit. What it does is if they study your blood, the blood cells look much like a person who has leukemia. The blood cells look like they have. With excessive light, mm -hmm. uh, T lymphocytes. 
So that's basically just what it is in a nutshell. It's, it's a lot longer report than that, but that's just basically what they uh, had uh, sent us. And I, I think it's interesting because uh, everywhere we go, they, there's more tumors on the thyroid, more increased uh, tumors on the thyroid, and also uh, a lot more goiters. And this is because the iodine is leached out of the soil and so we must use see many of us are using sea salt and we don't realize that it doesn't have the iodine in it and so we must have iodine and the only salt that the health educators are recommending is Haynes sea salt and even though it does have a little something else in there it's the only one that doesn't have uh, aluminum in it and that's the one they recommend that's fortified with iodine to help you with the thyroid problem. Any other question that anyone had? All right, I'd like to read one more statement. It says, uh, this is in 3T, page uh, 158 and one, I mean 138 and 139. It said, if Adam at his creation had not been endowed with 20 times as much vital force as men now have, the race with their present habits of living in violation of natural laws would have become extinct. So see, each generation, we're getting closer to the time, end of time, has less vital force. And when the vital force is gone, there is no more life. Each one of us have a measure of vital force. And we can use it up foolishly, as I did as a young person, quickly, or we can have a nice long life by following the eight true remedies. Now just take a pencil, if you will, and draw a line on a piece of paper. I don't have a, a board here, and I forgot to do this this morning. If you just draw a straight line on a piece of paper and look at the top of that line, that's the best your health can be. And as we go through life, putting in uh, you know, pollutants, um, some pollutants we can't get away from, can we? We uh, like our air and different things. We can do the best we can with water and, and our food, but there's some pollutants that we just can't get away from. And then you draw a line halfway down uh, across the other way on this line, and somewhere right about there comes allergies. And everybody gets to that line at a different rate of speed, depending how you lived ahead of time what you did up there in the top part of that line. As you're going down through life, as you're getting older, you're coming to that <clears throat> second line. And, um, and there's only one way that you can work back up. You don't have to become statistics. See, you can work back up by getting the pollutants out. And that is what we are trying to teach. But brothers and sisters, my husband and I have a great burden in our heart because the health message was meant for God's people first before we take it to the world. And it was to clear up um, the world, not only our mind, but for the world, to clear up their minds so they would hear, be able to hear uh, the Lord's voice clearer and uh, understand spiritual things. But unfortunately, that the health message isn't going to our people, and there are many pollutants that uh, we are, some knowingly and some Ignorantly, God did not give the health message to make healthy sinners. 
You see, he gave it to us. And another reason he gave it to us is so that we can go have strength enough to minister to others. In other words, when we go and minister, now when we have a cooking school health classes, they have to be at night because everybody works today. And how would the people get to come? If we, we have to stay up late in order to answer their questions, spend time and fellowship with them, pray for us because it's not an easy job. And Mrs. White says to make, not to make a missionary, medical missionary's work a featherweight harder than it already is. Do you know how much a feather weighs? I mean, you can't even tell you have a feather in your hand. So medical missionary people, encourage them. If you have them in your, um, you know, in your congregation, or if you know someone that is willing to do medical missionary work, please encourage them and help them in all the ways that you can because they are in the front line of the battle. And you'd be surprised the things that go on. Yes? Yes. Now, the water that we get in this country, it's not pure water. Correct. It's all sorts of added things in it. Yes. Now, I always drink hot water. Whether I'm trying to get rid of some of the poison by doing it that way, I don't Is it know. hot water out of the tap? Well, I get yeah, I boil it. But I mean, is it tap and then you boil it? Okay, you, her question is this, uh, our water is polluted here in this country, and so she's boiling her water, and I'm so sorry to have to tell you this, that when you boil it with those chemicals in it, it makes it more concentrated. So let me share with you what you should do. First of all, we need to have water purifier today. That's all there is to it. I mean, we need it. See, they have to put all those chemicals in the water. Otherwise, you couldn't drink it. You'd get sick. So they have to put those chemicals in there. And there's a debate whether they need to put as much in there as they do, but they do need to. Now, if you let, if you drink, if you pull, draw your water in the morning and let it set out all day, all of that chlorine will evaporate out. But the other things they put in there will not. And by boiling it, you beca it becomes more concentrated. So the best thing today is to have a water purifier that will take them out. And I recommend that every, every home have one. And distilled water is the best. But um, Well, who's they? Who says they're? Well, let me share one thing with you. My husband and I went to Washington, D.C. to a lecture where the, uh, the people came and they showed us uh, there's a way, they put something in the water. Uh, it's electrical thing in some way and it's scientific and I'm afraid I'm not able to explain it to you. I can only tell you what I saw. They had water, tap water, then they had uh, purified water with a purifier, and then they had water that was distilled. And this is why I'm saying distilled is the best. Anyway, this uh, electrical thing put in there could show you everything that was in the water. And brothers and sisters, it was, it, nobody could have drank it after what it went through. I mean, it, it turned black, it turned dingy, it turned a slimy green, an orange. 
and then it had frothy stuff on I mean, it was gross looking. Now that's just right out of the tap, and it was showing up every chemical that was in that water. Then he did the same thing, the same exact thing, and he showed it, we saw where he got the water. He did the same thing, and it was much better in the purified water, but it still had residue. And then he showed with distilled, and there was nothing that showed up in the water with distilled. Do you mean the water? Excuse me, I can only hear. What did you say? Did you, did you mean a filter, or is it different from a purifier? A purifier. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know about every one of them. I only know about what I looked into and. Um, See, the best, I think, um, of a purifier is a multi-purifier that hooks onto your faucet. See, yes? I did hear from someone recently, and I don't know whether this is true or not, but she had been working on selling water filters, and she said that they had done some tests on them and found that they were eliminating some of the vital elements. Okay, now there, there is vital elements in water that we need, but the same vital elements are in your food and I'm saying because of the time we're in why not get it out of the food and uh, because I mean it doesn't make sense to drink impure water just so you're getting you know I mean you got to take the lesser of two evils here and I still believe from what I saw that distilled water is the best except this distiller is more expensive than um, a multi-purifier or something and so you know you have to do the best you possibly can okay uh, I totally forgot about this but no one told me what time it was going to be um, we, we thought it would be good to have testimonies at this time because there are people who have applied the health principles in their life and their health has been restored or if you have a, another testimony that you'd like to give it's good when we come together as brothers and sisters to give testimony and to praise the Lord for what he has done and remember whenever you praise the Lord out loud you get endorphins so everybody's hand should go up to be the first one <laughs> who would like to give the first testimony Oh, I have a group of he people here that the Lord has not done one thing for you. Is that it? <laughs> Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Who would be the first one to give testimony of something in their life? Yes. I would like to say that five years ago I was on Benton in Brasley, and I had gone to a herbalist forgetting the spirit of prophecy for maybe longer than five years now. But um, <coughs> Praise the Lord. But I, I don't even think about Praise the Lord. Thank you for that testimony. Who else? Yes. Uh, I had a lot of allergies that you've been talking about. Every morning I would wake up until about 11 o'clock. My nose would stream and that it would just go right down <coughs> to the floor. It was that bad. And I discovered, I went on an elimination diet and I discovered the foods that would cause the problems. And they are just the foods that the Lord said we shouldn't take, such as milk, 
Yes. And uh, also additives in foods, etc. But the main thing was actually milk and milk products. And uh, when I stopped that, it, it cleared up. I also had recurrent sinusitis because of it. And I don't know if anybody's had it, but it's absolutely foul. It's horrible. And since I've given up the milk products, I've never had sinusitis again. Praise the Lord. What a wonderful testimony. Thank you. Yes, I, w I hope that we do get a chance to talk about milk uh, tomorrow or the next day. Anyone else have a testimony? Yes. Um, every spring I would get uh, a problem with allergies, with uh, sore throat and a lot of congestion, and that, that would happen every year. And when I change my diet, that's gone. And I have high blood pressure, and that's gone, and hypoglycemia too, and that's gone. Praise the Lord. Could you hear what she said? Yes. She said that every spring before she changed her diet, every spring she would have allergies and uh, with a sore throat and uh, she had high blood pressure and uh, hyperglycemia. And after making all of uh, the changes, she has none of these things. I too had a lot of those kind of health problems and um, but I'm not going to go into it now because I'm going to give my testimony Sunday morning. And, um, but God can, you know, through following the instructions, he says, I'll put none of these diseases on you. And brothers and sisters, we can go to the throne of grace with that. We can say, Lord, you, you said, you promised. And the Lord keeps his promises, doesn't he? Anyone else have a uh, testimony? Yes. Before I became a total vegetarian, I'd suffered for about, well, all my life with eczema and asthma. And it wasn't until I became a total vegetarian that that was eliminated. And, and life had been very miserable for me at times with eczema. And sometimes I used to have, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd scratch, my, scratch myself raw. And when I mean raw, that was raw. I mean, yes. not just in one place, sometimes the whole of my legs were raw. Where you just scratch all through the night. and. With, and that was because I was allergic to dairy products. And I didn't realize that until I became a total vegetarian. Praise the Lord. Yes. That's what we all need to be striving for right now, is to be total vegetarians, vegans. If there was ever a time, brothers and sisters, to get off of those things, it's now. You know, I went to a church, and I almost was thrown out uh, years ago. But, but I didn't know any better, and I wouldn't do this today, but I went and I said, how many of you um, believe Jesus is coming soon? Well, the whole congregation raised their hand. I said, how many of you believe it's time to get off of milk and eggs? Two people raised their hands. Well, I said, that's almost in direct denial. I mean, what comes first? Does Jesus come first, or do we get off milk and eggs first? Well, I, I went home. It was a... Um, you know, another city. The church was a long ways from where I lived. And um, I got a call, and they said, um, it was a pastor's wife, and she said, well, they're thinking about not having you here now. And I'm going, well, why? They, well, they don't like what you said. I said, what did I say? And so when she brought it out, what I said. But to me, it made sense, because we're told, you know, if you read it, we're told that the time will come when we won't be able to use those things. And uh, that time is here, and it's been here. It's past time. 
and um, God's people are still using them, and it's like playing Russian roulette. Yes? I think you ought to tell them the rest of the story when they called back, and we ended up with 70 people at the meeting. Just, yes. Just this was a very small area, and usually when we go to a church, we have maybe five, three to five people to show up that are going to work in the program in the kitchen or, or greeters or something. And... Um, we had 70, over 70 people show up for that first meeting. We were just absolutely astounded. And it's because they, and this was years ago, they found a whole herd of cattle in that area with the AIDS virus. And um, there's all kinds of people that are not Seventh-day Adventists that wouldn't touch milk and eggs. What are we doing using it? If, if the world isn't using it and they know what's wrong with it, why are we using it? We had that information first. We're not supposed to be the tail. We're supposed to be the head. And, um, and I believe it's because we uh, disobeyed and the world is, you know, the rocks are crying out with our message. And, um, you, you, you know, they, they have it. They have it all. And at the Second International Congress on Vegetarianism, these are all scientists of the world. I believe some of them are Christians, and we do have a couple of Seventh-day Adventists that are in that line of work that are scientists also. But for the most part, I mean, this is just the world that have proven everything that they don't even know that we, we have said these things. And another thing that I think is quite interesting, there's a college, there's a couple of colleges that are using, guess what they're using for their book to teach these nurses? Ministry of Healing. And we haven't been using that for a number of years. And um, so the, the world is coming with our message. Okay, now, do I understand correctly at this time we're going to have something by the children? Or do we have any more testimonies? I don't want to cut anyone off if you'd like to give testimonies. Praise the Lord. For those of you that couldn't hear, she said that she used to have asthma and have a lot of trouble when it was really cold or really hot. And um, that when she uh, became a Christian, Seventh-day Adventist Christian, and she got off uh, dairy products, those symptoms left. That was about 12 years ago. And God desires for each one of us to be happy and healthy and specimens for Him and drawing others to Him. And that's how he's going to do it, is by our families being restored. God is calling us today to restore the family, restore our own, our own lives that need to be restored, allowing him to do that, restoring our families, and then going out with a message, and this work is going to finish. And brothers and sisters, it's going to go with us or without us. It's going to go in the church with or without them. And so um, God promised it's going, and it's going to go, and a light is going to go across this earth. And we see a people getting ready, not many, but a few here and a few there. Brothers and sisters, don't be left out. Today is your day of salvation. Today 
is a day of preparation. There is very little time left. And so be one of those that are there because it's going to be, like my husband said, a small remnant of very small people that are going, he said, my, my people are fewer in number. They're going to be a few. And so I just um, want to plead with you that you be one of those that get your life ready, all aspects. He wants to restore the family in every area, and appetite is right up there at the top of the list. And I had listed there how the family, some things that the family can do. And another one that we always share with you is having a merry heart. You know, if you have a merry heart, you're going to boost your immune system. And when you have a merry heart, and others see that you have a merry heart, they want what you got. And um, the Lord desires that you have a merry heart. 